Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. Hi, I'm Joseph Whitney. And I'm David Campbell. Welcome to Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction technology, processes, and beer. Man, David, we've got so much to talk about on today's podcast. We've uh, barely talked at all this week. I know there's been a few phone calls and text messages back and forth and a lot going on. Um, I've been, you know, in uh, D.C., National Harbor area, which is just a great built-up facility. And you've been in Kansas City, I believe? Yeah, I was out in uh, Olathe, Kansas. Yeah, man. Uh, You were doing something out there with the new uh, TopCon GTL uh, robot? Yeah, man. Actually, it was a great week in Olathe. Um, all the TopCon guys there were able to um, kind of train me on the new construction verification workflow utilizing um, TopCon's new state-of-the-art GTL 1000. And it was great for me because I got that uh, first hands-on approach with the hardware to see you know, how a total station is used, um, kind of what they're using it for, what the workflow is with that total station and combining that with a scanner, what kind of, um, I wanna say, added functionality that gives me, especially when you're utilizing a verification software like Verity. Yeah, I mean, uh, a scanner and total station two and one's kind of be an interesting concept. And then the, I mean, I'm a big fan of Verity anyways. I like playing with a verification software and Edgewise's tools, uh, or Clear Edge's tools rather, with Edgewise um, kind of had me one over and then, uh, playing with Verity and uh, Rhythm for floor flatness. So I thought those are great tools. Um, so before we get too far into this episode, man, we've got to talk about the the brewing part of this, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. brewing with BIM. So the alcohol has to come first, I'm assuming, right? What are you drinking on today? <laughs> I am sipping on an Oktoberfest from the Kansas City Beer Company out of Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, nice. I, ho- I hope you heard that pop in the background. Yeah. I'm drinking on a uh, Sly Fox out of uh, I think I wasn't fortunate enough to grab uh, a um, beer while I was in D.C., but I did find this awesome uh, beer by a company in Pottstown, PA, since I'm, you know, repping PA these days, you know, as of about <laughs> two months ago. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I was trying to look for something interesting and uh, I've got a two year old, so I'm uh, pretty ingrained with it's a little video i'm not sure if you've heard of it it's called a uh, baby shark and uh, <laughs> so when i look at the can and it's a sly fox and it's called baby sparkles and there's like blue all around that looks like water and uh you know a shark and an underwater you know seawater creatures just weird stuff on the cover it just made me think of that and i was like i have to give this a try plus it's a double dry hopped ipa I am a fan of IPAs. I swear living in Portland, like ruined my taste buds. I can only drink rye whiskeys and IPAs and then, and then I'm done. But, but this beer is phenomenal. Like for a few reasons, like uh, I was drawn because of the can, which is such a, uh, you know, pardon the, the sexism here for a second, but that's such a girl thing to do. And I only say that because my wife picks, you know, who she wants to, who she thinks is going to win football game based off of the uniform. So, so I think I can say that fairly. <laughs> 
but <laughs> the can was just so so remarkable. And then uh, an IPA, I was hooked. Double dry hopped. Yes, that sounds great. Um, but it's got like citrus flavors in it. It's got the 360 360 lid can on it, a 360 uh, um, lid on it. And um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Miller Lite guy. You know, behind the scenes, right? But uh, I just you know love the whole where the can, the whole top of the can comes off as opposed to just the little tab. I don't know. It's it's interesting with an IPA, you get the full aroma. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been ranting about beer for about 20 minutes now, even though it's been like <laughs> 20 seconds. But still, that's the way I feel. Um, yeah, so. I like that 360. Uh, I like that 360 lid idea, man. It uh, takes away from having to use a straw when you really want to go ahead and chug a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've done the, the beer cup uh, where you put the straw and you flip it upside yeah. down to let the air out. Oh, man. Such a oh, crazy gosh. idea. Oh. Yep. Of course we could go back to straight straight college. Well, David, that was a painful experience because it stopped recording, and now we're recording again. And uh, we were talking for about 30 minutes, uh, 37 and change. And... Uh, I just happened to look at my phone and was like, hey, uh, this is some great stuff. I wonder where we're at. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that was painful. So, um, you know, it would seem insincere if we just went through it all. But uh, um, yep. maybe let's just uh, start a conversation over, man. We'll just uh, – uh, I think where we hung up on the last call was um, we were talking about shotgunning beers. Um <laughs> Well, it was fun, fun conversation 40 minutes ago. Um, but anyways, we were, we were just going off, man. We were talking about like GIS and FM and all the great stuff that's in between. And uh, yes, I just want to point out, don't rely on technology. It's just, it hurts so much, man. <laughs> 40 <laughs> minutes lost because, because I thought I pressed record. Anyways, again, actually, that's probably a good, uh, uh, a good tangent to Say, or a good segue to say actually it was human error because I forgot to press is what I'm assuming happened. Um, I thought I pressed it, but you know I'm I'm two beers in, and like I said, when you're 35, two beers is a is a lifetime of drinking. It feels like I've been drinking all day. Um, so that I'm gonna blame the alcohol. That's funny. That's funny. Oh man, yeah, sorry, buddy. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're all good, man. You're all good. You're just giving me so, the the capability to go off on more tangents. I know, right? So we were chatting about. Uh, so we got on the segue of. Uh, so so how this actually popped up is we were talking about, you know, the episode we were thinking about the title of bullshitting with BIM, right? I don't know if that fits, but through that mm-hmm. we started talking about BIM for FM, BIM for GIS, and I don't know how much of this we covered uh, already, but. Um, uh, you know, BIM for FM and BIM for GIS, right? We talk about this BS statistic. Uh, I say BS because I don't know the actual number. So um, BS is on me, not on the industry. 97% of a building's costs occur after the building, uh, is co- after construction is completed. And I think that that has more to do with the type of project and all that sort of stuff, the, the contract type, that sort of stuff. But that said, what about what about the building after after it's built, right? I mean, I was chatting with this young lady. On LinkedIn, uh, we had a great conver- you know, great text conversation about, um, um, you know, what it takes to actually convert a model, for, you know, through a Revit model, specifically Revit model, to an FM system, convert it and 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 parse all the data and whatever, you know, whatever you need. And Kobe formats aren't really usable, and this and that, and and 
anyways, I want to get her on a podcast at some point in time because she was really sharp and had a lot of great insights. It's not as easy as you think it is, and it requires a lot of forethought by the owner and the FM team and all parties involved. Uh, and then you were talking about um, uh, GIS, and we'll just rehash for, for a few minutes before we jump into uh, our, the rest of our conversation. But we're talking about GIS and what it really means. I was thinking about it more from an owner's perspective, and you had like this phenomenal, like, you know, something I hadn't really thought of, uh, disaster preparation, man. GIS for disaster preparation? Yes, disaster preparation, I feel like when we can combine the knowledge of what, how the buildings are, how they've been designed, where they are, um, emergency responders can really prepare for how to, how to get to that building, you know, how to enter it, utilizing some of the sensors that are there, how they could correctly enter the building, you know, shut off the connections, um, see what's going on inside of that building may have Maybe if there's like a, you know, 14 story skyscraper in Seattle and the fires on the you know 10th floor on the West Quadrant, they could know exactly what path to take inside of that building to get everybody out that they can, but also keeping themselves safe. You know, I mean, there's there's so many different things that we could do running simulations for those disasters, whether it's a fire, it's tsunami, uh, hurricane, tornado, you know, anything like that to kind of help um, establish just what we could do, you know, yeah. um, how we and, could do things know, better. And I know you, uh, you've heard me say this already, but the, the podcast listeners haven't. Uh, we, we've worked with consultants that work with the large tech companies, uh, you know, um, that, that have sensors already embedded in companies for uh, in, employee environment, you know, enhancement sort of stuff, you know, make you want to work there type stuff. Lights go on, you know, this time, ambient music, and lights adjust. Air automatically oh, yeah. adjust. All that stuff's already built in. It's using sensors to manipulate this data. But putting that into a 3D model and allowing it to actually putting it in a 3D model is something they're already doing. But allowing it to actually um, feedback information for for first responders would be great. Like say, um, um, you know, heard loud bang at this floor or in this specific vicinity. Allow active, you know, motion detectors. Allow people to know where active shooters are. Or um, uh, you know, imagine a sensor that's detecting uh, temperature of the room. Maybe it shuts off after it reaches, you know, a high temperature, you know, say 120 degrees or whatever it is. But that way it automatically shuts off and let, let a firefighter know, well, this room is hot. It, it's too hot. And if it's got a motion sensor built in, you know, if it hasn't already, you know, if it can withstand the tolerances or whatever, it would notify that there's actually people still in that room, let them know where they're going. I mean, thermal imagery is great, but you physically have to scan an area. But if a sensor was able to tell you all this stuff, I, I know sensors fail and it shouldn't be your first choice. But if a sensor was able to tell you that this room is, you know, this amount of temperature and you have these obstructions in the way and there are three bodies in that room, dude, that's that's the room you're going to, man. Like, yeah. Um, so anyways, you, you got me on a tangent there. Like, I, I really like the idea of GIS and BIM integrating I think I think something to talk about, you know, is is we keep talking about FM and 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 um, the full life cycle of the building. Um, really, I think we should talk about whose responsibility. I mean, that should be, you know. And I mean, it's not really responsibility in terms, but who should want that? I mean, the owners I know should want all that information. They want that information in the model, right? But I think that it's also valuable for designers, for contractors, installers, whoever 
you know, essentially it's, it's essential for them to have that information in the model as well, to be putting that information in the model. Now, as far as, you know, litigation, but, you know, cover CYA, right? You want a CYA? Cool. Make sure all of that information is in the model. So when something yeah. does come up, you have that to go back to. Yeah, so a lot of this is a scary conversation, right, to have when you talk about um, some architects, they don't want to give you the 3D model because it's design intent. They don't want they don't want the GC building from it. Um, and engineers, if they you know came from the uh, architect's model, they're not going to want the same reasons. I mean, there's a there's a lot of risk to be inherited here, and and uh, who's at fault if something's inaccurate? And yeah. Anyways, I'm with you though, man. Putting information in the model and who's really to benefit. I mean that. That gets back to the conversation we were having about, um, you know, owners, right? So owners want um, information for their FM systems, but it depends on the type of project, right? It's got to be a complex project in order for them to, to mandate certain stuff. It's got to be a tech company, a pharmaceutical, some, something of that nature, a big project. Hospitals. Hospitals are, you know, the most complex projects. They're, they're, they are, uh, in my mind, the... Um, the most easily, um, most easy to to get the benefits out of a, a, a 3D model, not just a 3D model, but one with you know loaded with information, as long as it's Definitely. relevant information. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, we were just talking about. Um, I'm not sure if it was recorded or not, but we were just talking about verification and construction, right? Have using that BIM data in construction either for you know, the as-built conditions against the design model to make sure that we are designing according to what is actually there. Or let's say the um, a point cloud scan of the construction as they're going through finishing packages, right? Let's say that we're going to talk about package handover. And when those contractors or subcontractors go to hand this over and say, we're done with this, you know, you're performing verification on that model. I would think that the owners would also want to be or want to have a portion of that right seeing exactly what in their project is going on making sure that things are being built as they ask them to but also making sure that things are being done on time in that timely manner tracking the schedule the overall um, timeline of your project whether it's through tracking scanning and and verifying packages or it's doing weekly verifications or you know whatever kind of interval interval you want to do but utilizing that BIM data that is there to kind of make sure that everything is as it should be. Yeah, right? yeah. no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I, I hear that. Um, I don't know if you follow me on LinkedIn. I, I hope you do. I, I hope we're good enough friends that you do. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I recorded some videos about BIM 360 and not to push the BIM 360 agenda. I just, I'm so ingrained with it that, that, I wanted to highlight that real quick. Um, pushing information from a model, right? So say we can do something like phasing and all that stuff. We have it in our model, but being able to uh, port that out to the field so they can actually, you know, get a real update. But if there was a way for us to track that against a scan and say that, you know, this phase has been completed to this, you know, based off of this scan, this is the work that's been completed in this model. Like that, I don't know, like. That to me is the next step. And, and we yes. we've worked. So uh, we had somebody on our team who's no longer on our team, but um, they they have a, a friend or a relative that's actually working on this technology. So I'm excited 
uh, to see it in action. If it, if it isn't already there, uh, I want to see when it's there. If it is already there, forgive me for not following up on it. But You know, I you wanna, and I uh, had this conversation last week about a workflow that we were curious to see if it would work. And one of that, one of the kind of portions of that was that um, verification of a site, right? Or a site analysis, because Civil 3D already has site analysis tools in it, right? But imagine if I can take something like that surface in Civil 3D and essentially link it into Revit. So if I can make that surface come into Revit and actually make that a living relationship for as it adjusts in Civil, like making it, you know, insert CAD link, insert Revit link, what have you, if I can have that connection, that would essentially update my site and everything for those analysis, making sure, you know, as they're actually out moving dirt on the site and, and seeing, okay, as they have it right now, you know, if I can do this scan and compare it as, as they were last week, I could see how exactly how much material has been moved off of my site or brought mm -hmm. onto my site. I can verify that against what I'm claiming, you know, or what I have claimed against me. To, to go ahead and pay for things yeah. like that. And I'm verifying yeah, we, things. Dude, it's we, nuts. We, we, we talked about this workflow and it, it's not necessarily a scan workflow. It's a drone workflow, right? So yes, we have tools, UAVs. remarkable, we have remarkable tools that are already out there that uh, we can fly over a site and it'll tell us how much quantity has been moved from, you know, whether it be the design drawing or the initial flight, it'll tell us how much we have left. Uh, I was telling you on the last podcast that I, you know, I've been, been privy to conversations with this great company called, um, oh man, I'm, I'm going to butcher their name. I don't even know why I'm, I'm blanking on it, but there's this great company out of Pittsburgh. They, uh, they, they focus on, uh, um, um, drone data and managing drone data and they do it all from, from, uh, Pix4D engine. It's just such a, mm -hmm. a great tool, but it'll tell, it'll tell you how much, um, how much dirt's been moved, how much, you know, it'll tell you all this, this data and, and a great, easy to consume report. Um, I'm looking up his name right now. Uh, Identified Technologies, that's who it is. Uh, um, and so anyways, they got this great workflow and we can talk about sites and all that sort of stuff, but it, it, it'll tell you everything. It'll tell you, you know, if the dirt's been moved, it'll tell you the progress, uh, well, not necessarily the progress against the design, but it'll tell you, you know, how much dirt is still left to move in that design, that sort of stuff. But um, uh, having that tie into Revit, having that tie into you know, the GC's model have that tie into so they can just go to one one single source of truth and click in. Like, so, um, again, big proponent of BIM 360. What if uh, they developed a connection to BIM 360? It's something we could overlay, um, you know, whether it be BIM 360, plan grid, whatever, but we can track it mm -hmm. um, uh, with the Revit information because uh, you and I both agree on a certain workflow for collaborating in Revit, and that is it's got to be through the cloud. You're working yep. with uh, multiple parties in multiple locations. That is the easiest way to do it. Gives us the best controls and divisibility. Um, uh, BIM 360 design. That's the way to go. Uh, but yes. anyways, uh, again, not plugging, not plugging BIM 360. Just familiar with it. So that's what I know. Um, but but imagine imagine having that update in the background, right? Your linked, like you were just saying, your linked files in there and all that sort of stuff. But it was a live link. Every time they flew the site, it would automatically update and tell you you know, this percent of the projects complete, that sort of stuff, tell you the site conditions. I, yes. I don't know, man. I think that's great. More information, the better, man. Again, big yes. data nerd. Uh, I love it. The more information that you can have, the better. I mean, honestly, that's 
That's amazing. Being able to see that as like, let's say a concrete contractor who's self-performing their work, right? And seeing exactly how the site conditions are and being able to go out and know what they're going to come up against when they're shoring or they're preparing, anything like that. I mean, that's that right there is going to save time and money. I mean, usually yeah, that, they'd have to go out, evaluate the site, go ahead and do their layout. If they have a direct, like a, a file, a design file, let's say, that shows them the exact conditions of the site. And they can go ahead and maybe draw in some type of shoring or anything to get a preliminary idea of what they're going to be doing. Now, of course, it's going to have to do a set. They're going to have to take a second look. But I mean, you would imagine if they have that information there at their fingertips, it would make things a lot faster. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you, man. There's, there's a lot to be desired that uh, obviously technology can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, eventually, man, we'll get there. You know, we've. Uh, I, I've spoken at several events across the country as far as uh, the labor shortage in construction. Um, we're getting there. Technology will help fill that gap. But, you know, technology doesn't replace humans, right? We need no. humans. We actually need people um, designing these work- workflows and having this this uh, input. So um, technology will get us to that gap and fill those gaps that, that, that we need to get us to the next step. But, man, it's the people that, that are going to get us there. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, so earlier we were talking about um, you, you were talking about BIM for FM and all that stuff, and and I just wanted to ch- chat about something. So I went to the AGC BIM conference. Uh, I don't know, it must have been a few weeks ago, and it was in um, uh, sorry AGC yeah AGC BIM forum. That's what it is. That conference, uh, and it was in um, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, man, which was a great great location. Got to go out and see the arch. Our hotel was right next to the arch. Uh, that was fun, but um, it was hosted by Building Smart, and you know I interacted, you know, a little bit in the past with Building Smart. Um, I follow them on LinkedIn. They posted this, uh, you know, this article, and uh, one of my favorite people I follow on about FMs posted on this uh, article. But their article is titled "BIM is the Wrong Word," and it was literally just like a hundred. Uh, comments following up to it is like, are we still having this damn conversation? Like, are you serious? Like, no, let's stop trying to redefine BIM. Let's stop having these conversations about what is BIM or, you know, having that stuff. So um, when, when you and I were talking about, you know, this topic being bullshitting about BIM, I wanted to not focus on what BIM is, what BIM isn't, but talk about the benefits of BIM and uh, the benefits of BIM primarily for FM, GIS, um, and, and just, you know, stuff we're not thinking about today. So that FM side though, um, stirred up a conversation. Like it, it sparked something in me to go out and seek a conversation with a gal that was in St. Louis, um, on the Revit side and she worked for, uh, an owner and now she does FM consulting. And it's all about that loading the information as I was saying earlier. And I, I don't know, man, I'm just going to harp on this. I think she would be a good candidate for a follow up uh, podcast. I think so, man. And I'm down for I'm down for getting anybody with some passion on the industry or bettering the processes or workflows that we're doing right now. You know what I mean? And and of yeah. course we see a huge gap there with FM in, in our models. You yeah. really do. And it, it's well, it, we we need it. Yeah. Well, so we're talking about owners' perspectives, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. you know um, you know really high dollar uh, long term thinking here. And uh, FM is part of it. We were talking about GIS. I chatted with a gentleman who is a phenomenal, I say phenomenal. I only know his, uh, 
um, his past experience. But there's a gentleman that has rehired who uh, is now on their BIM side, and he's actually working on the BIM to add you know, GIS integration, what that means, getting the messaging out, um, and, and uh, helping spread that um, vernacular, I guess, through the industry, BIM, BIM for GIS. And uh, like, I think he'd be a great person to have on this podcast, but uh, my favorite person that I really want to get on this podcast, and uh, there's a gentleman, his name is Britton Langdon. For you guys that don't know him in the mechanical and plumbing sectors, he'll keep you in one one platform. He'll keep you in Revit. We can we can spool from Revit families or .itms. We don't have to jump to fabrication for Revit, all that sort of stuff. So so uh, I'm jumping off on tangents here, but uh, I'm thinking about the future and the different podcasts that we're going to have. Uh, I've got several buddies in the industry. I know you do too. And I think that we're going to, we're going to have some, some great conversations around these topics, GIS, FM, and um, keeping people in, in one platform as long as possible and pumping that, that, that platform itself, that model and that platform full of information. Definitely, dude. It's all about the information. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we all need. We just, we take in that information and we can kind of go from there. Right. You, you know what sucks? Um, I don't think this conversation that we've had kind of rehashing the original conversation does the original conversation it doesn't. any justice. No, nope, it does not. No, nope. <laughs> no, it does not. No, so I'm sitting there like I took notes and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll talk about this. Let's bring this back up. I'm like, oh, man, like we went off on such we had such a great conversation about yes, about this one piece. So so uh, kind of a flop on the second podcast womp womp. Uh, in terms of how it compared to the original conversation that we were having about it. It's still a great podcast, and I think we're doing some great stuff. <laughs> yes. um, you were talking about verification before I interrupted you with the tangent, and I think that that, you know, it's such a broad term, could take a million podcasts to fill. Um, uh, gentleman at Fortis Construction, Phil Miller, super knowledgeable guy. Um, dude, we've gone off on many attentions talking about uh, verification, verification of what's installed, construction verification in general, you know, ex yep. existing well, conditions. Then, oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say, again, running, I mean, into that, when you're having that conversation, it all tallies back into whose responsibility is it? Who wants to oh, pay for this? Yeah, It's always, yes, like, that's, that is the biggest thing you run into. So, so the thought I had earlier, right, when I was talking about, oh, you know, BIM for construction and BIM for owners, what's the difference? BIM for owners, the owner wants to leverage a certain amount of data at the end of it. They need certain um, certain elements modeled in a certain format. And I went on this tangent on the last uh, unrecorded uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, but, but we were talking about BIM 360 field and the old format of being able to pump information from glue to field, pressing a button and having the owner have a work ticket management system from day one with all of the um, uh, high level of development for certain elements in the model, right? You know, we, we want to define that level of development for, you know, certain elements. Um, mm -hmm. I think mostly mechanical plumbing elements in my mind, but um, having that, having that stuff clearly defined and then having all the, you know, the O&M information are there for, for easy to gather, like an owner can actually get behind that and get that, get behind that. And as a GC or a trade, we usually get behind the idea of, yeah, we want BIM. And you're talking about people wanting BIM and not knowing what BIM was. I don't know if that was part of the recorded part or not part of the recorded part, but we were talking about um, 
people just specifying BIM and we worked with a certain con a certain owner who um, their site flooded and they lost all of their stuff. And it was only then that they actually went back to the models to look at all the information only to realize that the information that was in the models was not, you know, it was like they specified BIM, they didn't specify the LOD, they didn't specify mm -hmm. the attributes, they didn't specify any information. So they had nothing. So now they've got like this open rec out for the next projects and they're thinking more clearly in this stuff. So we're talking about BIM for owners, but what does it mean for the trades, right? So for the trades, we think about it in, in standards of geometry. I only care about where my, you know, duct is hitting that, you know, in my model is hitting that steel. That steel's not going to mm -hmm. move. You know, let me reroute my duct or whatever. So construction BIM, we think about the 3D geometry. The mm -hmm. owner BIM, we think about actually, you know, BIM, building information models. Information models. So mm -hmm. how do we bridge that gap, man? Like, how do we make it beneficial to both parties? My thought is working with some trades, they're trying to mm -hmm. sell the owners, whether you're trying to sell them on the idea of um, – you know, uh, a, a maintenance package afterwards or that you'll handle all of this after, after warranty, post warranty, you know, you want to be the service provider, um, you know, so you should theoretically, I don't know, maybe pump a bunch of information into that model so that it benefits you. So what is that information? What does it entail? That sort of stuff. I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, how do we I think it takes, in? I think it takes people, um, that are passionate about the industry, passionate about the process to look at things and say, you know, we need this. I mean, it's, again, I keep saying it, but it's all about the eye, the information yeah. of that building, of that model. That's what you need. For me, it's the eye, dude. That eye needs to be a capital. Everything else is lowercase, you know? You, you said I. I was thinking, I was thinking about me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, right it's i for yeah. me it's all about the information for me man so, that's it so, so listen, listen to this real quick did you hear that that beautiful yeah, sound that's ridiculous oh, that is this 360 beer top popping it is my new favorite sound i love it you know we, we we've uh we've got the tools at the beginning of our intro sound i think we should incorporate that somehow man like a, yeah. a beer top and i agree i love it man it's fantastic um so i mean uh i don't even know i think we've covered everything that was in our previous uh tangents that we had that were unrecorded that we thought were being recorded yeah um now we're free to to roam about where we want man we we've done the rehash got everybody up to speed um so we were talking about BIM for GIS, BIM for uh, FM, verification models. Um, I'm just, uh, let's continue this conversation about bullshitting with BIM for, for as long as we can go, man. Dude, I mean, honestly, we, we could talk probably for days about BIM, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, the entire process <laughs> of BIM or what BIM is, that's, that's a huge conversation. That's the idea of this podcast, right? It's not just one exactly. episode. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And, you know, we talk about it. It means different things to different people. It means – so it varies by trade. It varies by uh, role, right, whether we're talking yep. about we're a builder, we're a designer, or we're an owner. Or, for the most part, we're uh, – uh, we're a vendor, right? So if we're, mm -hmm. you know, BIM means different, something different for a software company than it does for the, the you know, low on the whole totem pole uh, um, 
you know, fire protection or whatever uh, guy, which I want to say, I want to point this out. Shout out to all my fire protection guys that are working in Revit because they are making shit happen. Yes. Um, the least amount of tools to them. They are just, they're doing well. Same with the electrical guys, man. They're seen as the redheaded stepchilds of the 3D design industry. But I'll tell you what, man, they were the first and easiest to adopt, the electrical guys specifically, first to adopt going wholeheartedly for, for BIM, for fabrication. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It just blows my mind with, with what people do. Oh, yeah. With how little they work with. When I was doing uh, mechanical design, well, it was uh, plumbing MEP design. Um, when I, as soon as I transitioned over from AutoCAD into Revit, I saw how much easier my isometric drawings and my my riser diagrams were <laughs> in Revit. Like, oh man, I don't have to recreate this two or three times. I literally just angle my view, filter it down, and I got it. Let's go. It's insane. Yeah. So, so did I tell you about? Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Bill Derrance, who is a phenomenal gentleman. Uh, he's located here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, we work with him on, on his hardware, and I, I met him through this, uh, through regards. We were just chatting about BIM. Uh, he is one man that does, uh, I don't know, a few billion dollars worth of projects. He is one guy. They have a department of one on the VDC side. <laughs> so we're talking about doing doing uh, these people like electrical and fire protection that are doing uh, with less in the software. This guy's doing it all, and he works a three-day work week, man, or three or four-day work week. I don't want to put him under the bus there, but but anyways, he's he's a he's a phenomenal gentleman, and uh, he just um, we chose Pittsburgh on a whim, and he just gave me you know chatting with him kind of gave me hope. Like man, people here they're resilient. They 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 just get they just get it done, man. And he was one of those guys that just just gets it done. Yep. You know what I'm so excited about, honestly, with um in, in terms of where we work or what we do is expanding into areas that really aren't using BIM in terms of the processes. Whether I, and I don't care if you're using. Autodesk, you're using Bentley MicroStation, you're using SketchUp. I don't, I don't care. It, it's um, <clears throat> kind of where that information goes and how it's helping people, right? Where, again, that information is going and to whom. And you start seeing some of these, you know, cities or places that we're going where they're, you know, I don't want to say stuck on CAD or before, but they are. And it's exciting to me, like uh, being an instructor, I love the, I want to say, aha moments, right? Those, I did not know that was possible. And being able to show these workflows, these processes saying, no, this is possible. And this is why I support this. This is why I think you should do this. Because you're making the information readily available to everyone in a format that everyone can understand, right? If you're using BIM 360, if you're using Bluebeam Studio, which don't get me off on that tangent, I love Bluebeam, I'll go, I'll go for days. But whether you're using any of those platforms, it, it's, it's how they're getting that information again and in what format that is going to benefit everyone, right? No, you, you had me, man. That's it. That's, that's what we do, man. We, we work for those aha moments. I've, uh, I don't know, man. I'm, um, I, I work for my own aha moments at point times. Like I like to have my own, like when 
And somebody shows me something and I'm like, oh my God, like, are you serious? This is what you're doing? That's amazing. Like I would never yes. thought I worked for those yeah. aha moments, but I also work for the, uh, oh my gosh, like, let me show you this. You're doing it that way. You're using six different products to get here when you already own this. Let, let me just show you how this works. And they're just like, oh my God, like that, that blew my mind. That's amazing. Yep. I work with this uh, large concrete company um, who's designing in Revit. They'll export to AutoCAD. They'll import their AutoCAD into the data collector. They use the data collector to um, place points. Um, but what they don't know or what they didn't realize is that they actually own this tool called APL, Autodesk Point Layout. And part of Autodesk Point Layout, they own this through their glue seats. So um, through this Autodesk Point Layout tool, they were actually able to go ahead and create points automatically in the model, and it would actually kick out the DWG or DXF with all the point data in a magnet job file or whatever the, the data collect format that they were using um, uh, so that they could take it in without having to set up the job file from, 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 from instantaneously. They, weren't, they would just bypass like 10 different steps, and they were relying on one person to do the Revit and one person to to um, double check the CAD and do the CAD into the, the uh, total station. Now it's just one person does all the exports, imports it into the, the total station data collector, or at least the site for the total station data collector guys to access. And it just was like, they were, there was like a profound aha. It's like, you just saved me like 45 minutes, every, every file, 45 minutes worth yep. of work. I'm like, cool. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry I didn't get to you sooner. Yes, yes. Always makes you feel good. By the way, I mm -hmm. love BIM 360 layout for, for Revit, primarily for Revit. Um, I cannot wait until, you know, 10 years from now or however long it takes. But this is a cloud application that I just upload a model to and it automatically places element or places uh, points on families uh, or entities, you know, slab footings, whatever, based off of how I tell it to. And it, I don't mm -hmm. have to manually place anything. I cannot wait for those days. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can't wait for that. Oh, man. Like, there's a, I don't know, man. We talk about layout. We talk about verification. Um, I don't know if we talked about this on this uh, this podcast, but we were talking about the GTL 1000 and the, the scanning functionality with the robotic layout uh, functionality. Um, you had the privilege. You went to Kansas City. You were playing with the workflow. Um, any key takeaways? Oh man, on it, there were so many. I mean, for me, I came up through, um, you know, construction and then I went into design. Um, I never really got to work with total stations. Um, I never got to work with robots and, you know, getting the software side down has been great. But, uh, this week I was out in Olathe, Kansas with the TopCon folks out there. And um, they showed me the GTL 1000, and it, it's just an amazing tool. I mean, being able to, of course, track where you are, take your measurements, um, geo, well, geolocate yourself with those points, and then actually taking the scans, tying that all together was ridiculous. Um, the processing time was very, very short. I want to say that as soon as you open it up into collage, recap, what have you, um, <clears throat> I mean, it was instant. It's registering that. But one of the biggest things I saw about the GTL, um, of course, going into that Verity um, workflow, the construction verification workflow, it was amazing. But let me say this. Typically, with a total station or let's say a scanner, right, 
you're looking for prisms. You're doing your back sights. You're doing your resections. You're, you know, you establish control and then you go ahead, right? You're, you're moving up. And let's say that you're working in a multi-level building. And maybe maybe you're working downtown Portland, maybe Seattle, Chicago, D.C., what have you. Um, you're going to go ahead and take these scans of the floors. Well, typically what I hear is that when you go to take a scan and you want to do a multi-level building, you have to take that scanner um, into uh, a, well, a, a stairwell or some sort of transitionary kind of area between the two floors. So you can kind of connect that scan together to go up, right? The thing I see about the GTL, and the real big thing that stood out is you have that total station, right? So let's say that you establish a target or a prism on the building across the street from you. And then you put that control point, that target prism, up a few floors, right? You can aim and target that and set that for your control points or backsight to that. And then essentially, as you go through doing your scans, it knows where your control is. It's holding it. Oh, you well, can that's go cool. up through. Yeah, it's it'll, ridiculous. It'll, it'll register your floors essentially on top of each other without having to scan um, stairwells. I don't know. Yes. I don't know how often people are scanning stairwells or not. Uh, I was on the construction layout side for quite a while. Um, I say quite a while. It wasn't that long, but I, I was on the construction layout side for a while, for a bit, and we we never got into scanning though, man. That was just not. That was something that was beyond us, and it wasn't until I worked for. Um, um, the great Northwest reseller PPI group um, that I actually had anything to do with scanners. We played with Faro and uh, that was at the GLS 2000 short range, long range, that sort of stuff mm-hmm. that I actually got into those workflows. I, I just, uh, I feel like I don't know enough about it, man. So having you go out to Aletha and do some stuff with those guys, I mean, hopefully I can glean some information from you. Oh, I'm an open book and I am always looking to gain more information on this. I, I was very excited, not only, of course, to get a hands-on approach with the with the hardware, but honestly, to talk to these different people um, that were there. I mean, I talked to a guy, uh, gosh, I talked to a couple guys there that had been doing it for 20, 30 years. Oh, I wow. mean, really just had been scanning. Um, one gentleman um, was actually, um, his nickname was Trap. His name was Trap. Um, Trap That's a good actually, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, he was awesome. He walked me through, kind of told me why they do backsides and, and how they're doing resections, what they would typically do when they're surveying, what they typically do in their layout, you know, how the GTL establishes, you know, its control, why it does it so well, how I can walk around the site with the prism for layout and actually lay out all my different points, you know, establishing, okay, this is control point 101 or, you know, CPP 102, anything like that, man. I have a test question for you. So uh, as a, as a big proponent, because I actually love this functionality with uh, top kind devices, um, have you used an RC5? Does the GTL work with an RC5? RC5. So the RC5, is that another controller? No, it's not that. So you're thinking of the FC5000. The RC5 is the um, uh, device that sits on top of the prism. It'd be a yellow box uh, with a little um, black square buffer going around the mm-hmm. base of it. Right above the prism, were you able to use that with it? I'm just curious. I'm not sure, honestly. I was, um, I mean, I'd imagine that we are, but the yeah, whole time well, we it's were a, there. Well, it's a gt 
five, five whatever robot, 500 robot. So I think you should be able to. I mean, maybe we'll give a give a, a lifeline call to Jim Martin here and, and get some yeah. specific <laughs> information. Here. But, I'd like uh, to call a friend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, phone a friend. That's exactly it. Phone a friend. That's what it is. If we could phone a friend and uh, call Jim Martin and figure out about it. But, uh, the, um, the biggest, the, bit, the best thing in the industry for, uh, so I've walked, I've walked many a job site and then um, getting caught on you know, reflective prisms. I was actually talking to a land surveyor who I would never have thought, never would have pegged for an RC5. Um, we were talking, we were at the uh, Missouri State Land Surveyor Conference in um, Columbia, Missouri, uh, home of Mizzou. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, oh yeah. yeah you're a college football guy, I knew you knew that. Um, they, uh, so anyways, he was telling me, he was like, man, I'd be shooting this you know, 100 acre site all of a sudden, you know, my uh, my unit just runs away with a headlight, and I'm I'm setting a search pattern trying to figure out where I'm at. I'm like, man, what if you could just press a button and it tell you where you're at? And he's like, yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm like, well, hold on one second, let me screw this on top of your device and pair it. And uh, <laughs> you got to make sure it's the RC5. But anyways, so if we could do the RC5 on with a GTL so the verification, so it knows where you're at, and doesn't get run away, that adds just another layer of awesomeness to this whole workflow. Again, this this is such a you know an interesting topic. We're talking about scanning for verification, not only verification of what's been completed for, um, uh, you know, like making sure that we're within tolerance to the QAQC side of it, but also verification as far as the GC wants to pay people, pay people, pay people out, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, and I mean honestly, that that builds into that whole verification workflow that I was talking about again reaching those pay periods or those kind of phases before they go to, you know, phase before they go to pay them, they want to verify the work that was done. Right. So, yeah. Man. And, and again, I don't know if I said this on this, this recorded podcast or the previous podcast, but, uh, <laughs> um, we, we actually worked with a, uh, worked with someone for a little bit who had a relative, I don't know, husband, spouse, something like that, that, uh, is working on this technology to identify, um, you know, based off of scan data, um, you know, what's been completed. And I'm sure it relies on something about, you know, phasing or whatever the GCS set the model mm -hmm. in a certain way. But dude, it's getting there. It's awesome. It's so exciting. It's getting to, there. Yeah. Yeah. That like everybody wants to talk, everybody wants to talk about how construction is like this last, you know, um, you know, Sebastian of, uh, or not Sebastian. That's the name of the little mermaid. <laughs> The crab. Um, <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. How can um, you tell we have kids? Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Um, <laughs> the, uh, last bastion of uh, a lack of technology, right? We're the la we're the laggards in the industry. We, we talk about we have a, a whole arm of our company focused on agriculture, and we're talking about like automation, telling you when you need to do sprink, you know, when your sprinklers need to go off. Like we have all this stuff built in to agriculture, but yet no automation, no, none of this stuff, none of the uh, um, manufacturing aspect of it is built into construction just yet. I mean, there's a, a few great companies like Katera and I, there, we hold them on a pedestal, right there. Mm -hmm. They came out nowhere and they're using uh, them to define their supply chains and all yep. that sort or of stuff. Or Slender. Slender oh, in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, Slender in Chicago. He's like, man, shout out to my East Coast guys or Midwest yeah. guys, Chicago. There we go. Um, you know, I, I got I got to give them some love too. I'm, you know, I'm too busy uh, touting the horn on the on the west side, but 
I'm, I'm relocated, dude. I'm, I'm uh, geo, geographically insignificant to those guys anymore. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to the guys on this side of the country uh, um, that are actually using BIM and all that sort of stuff and technology to get there. But there is a long way to go, and there's a big gap in technology. And as we're getting flooded with the the pro cores and the punch lists and the field wires and all the, you know, these, you know, technologies that came out of left field, like it just, if, just seems like a few years ago, right? They're younger than Facebook. Put it in that, that perspective. Most of these tech companies that we deal with on construction are younger than Facebook. And um, they just came out of nowhere. There are thousands of them. They just came out of nowhere. It's growing, man. It's growing fast. You know, we need it. Construction yeah. needs to integrate with technology. No, I am there, but how do you choose? This is a topic for probably the next podcast. How do you choose which technology to, to, to uh, you know, to bet on? Like, how do you choose which one to, to choose as your horse race? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's a hard uh, one right there. My, um, so my, my spiel, right, right, my whole thought on this whole thing is Autodesk is the 800-pound gorilla in design and engineering. They're on record to their investors saying we are getting in construction. I wouldn't put it past them to buy everybody and anybody to make this happen. So I think no matter what we think about, no matter what we talk about, no matter the great technology, it's got to some way integrate with the future vision of Autodesk. A lot of people that might drive a little craw on their side, but um, knowing the future of BIM 360, knowing what's possible today, you've seen my podcast or my uh, I linked in about me put, pumping information into models and leveraging that down out in the field and actually uh, um, connecting to building uh, um, Power BI. And I'm mm-hmm. having so many brain parts at once. But uh, <laughs> having, having all of this information available at one point in time, no matter who you are, integrating multiple, multiple formats, uh, mm-hmm. talking to multiple devices or multiple uh, platforms, right? We're talking about, you yep. know, you talked about Building Connected, you talked about Assemble, or maybe you didn't talk about Assemble, but that should be another. That episode. should be another one. That right. should be next one. Yeah. Reconstruction. Yes. Let's let's get on that, man. Um, yeah, we dude. have platforms, um, like 80-something of them integrate with BIM 360 today. Mm-hmm. We've got Bluebeam, which again, you and I, I think we're going to do a podcast over this, or not just a podcast, but a webcast over this at some point in time, where we're going to be showing off the the, uh, the integration between Bluebeam and all that sort of stuff, because we don't yeah. have like, we need to. Dude, um, honestly, it's funny how many <clears throat> how many people I talk to that think Bluebeam is just, or Bluebeam Review, excuse me, is just a PDF reader writer. It is nuts. Oh, I use Bluebeam for my reader write for my reading PDFs, or you know, I might make a couple markups here and there, but that's it. I'm like, oh, you guys are not understanding the full capability of this program. We we use we, it. Uh, you and I specifically have uh, uh, we've worked with various counties, various uh, owners, right? Uh, I think whole new mm-hmm. industries to us. I think. Um, uh, maybe it was drywall was probably a big one for us. I think I think it was drywall. We got yep. into it. We were just like, well, you guys are using what technology? No, just use this, use this, use this. And it was all about like how they can use Bluebeam and uh, and it had nothing to do with reading PDFs. I mean, yes, reading oh. PDFs, you know, minute one percent, right? That's the base level. 
Yep. But getting to a point where we could create uh, RFIs, submittals, uh, take stamps, off, establishing take the materials, takeoffs, dude. Custom dashboards, like just insane stuff. We work with one of the greatest general contractors in the Pacific Northwest. Anyways, uh, he like they are like big into Bluebeam. They're all about the dashboards. Like everybody, you know, like get on the dashboard. Yes, you're only leveraging crazy percentage of the application. Yep, you're right. I mean, that's when you talk about giving anybody access to the documents in the field. I mean, they want the easiest way to access the documents that they need. They don't want to open up a 60, 70, 80 page sheet set and try to navigate to the pages that they know. They don't want to do that. They don't. So the easiest way around that is making a dashboard or just, let's say a navigation pane. Oh, no one, excuse me. Hyperlink beers kicking in already. <laughs> Hyperlink to the different <laughs> oh, man, I'm right there with of you. those documents, man. So if I'm using so a I dashboard, bought, I'm hyperlinking it back into my project. I bought these, uh, this, those, uh, so that baby sparkles, uh, remarkable beer that I was talking about comes in tall boys. Yep. So I, when I said I was two <laughs> beers, I'm actually about three tall boys in right now. Oh, and, geez. um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite great. I'm feeling feeling uh, feeling like I'm, feeling uh, the I'm having a I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the bim, man. <laughs> so so we talk about dashboards, right? We talk about easy to consume data out in the field and and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know whether it be Bluebeam, PlanGrid, BIM 360, these are great. Uh, ways to consume information out in the field. And I think that's where we're getting at. Like we want to be yes. platform agnostic in the grand scheme of things. We want to give you everybody, all these fellow, fellow listeners. I think we had like 80 on the last podcast, uh, listen to our first episode. So uh, all these fellow listeners, you know, talking about um, BIM and, you know, tools and, and workflows and all that sort of stuff. We don't want to steer you down any one rabbit horse or one rabbit horse. Is that even a rabbit word? horse? But yeah. Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole, that's the word. I see, man, three, three tall boys in. This is, this is how you sound. <laughs> you sound so, <laughs> no, uh, so, so, um, steer anyone down any one rabbit hole, but, but what we want is to let everybody know what's out there and these great tools that, that we've actually been able to interact with these tools that we've seen. If we haven't seen them, we want to have the, the visionaries that behind them on or people that I've used them on. Like I have yes. uh, a lot of contacts. Um, you've got a lot of contacts. Let's, you know, uh, start bridges. in. so once we get recording underneath us and we figure out, you know, the best method to do this, we've done a, one on anchor via cell signal. And we've done this one is uh, going to be using Skype via Wi-Fi. Um, we've got a few that we're going to try and play around and see the best way to get people uh, intergrain, but once we do, we can't wait to start spreading this information and have um, a lot of people, you know, on here just talking about um, fun stuff. You know, we're, we don't yes. want to. There are so many great, you know, podcasts out there about BIM and CAD and processes and you know whatever you know products. But a lot of them, you know, not knocking any of them. I actually do follow a few of them that I find interesting, but there are. The, the majority of them seem a little bit stuffy and they want to talk about podcasts, which is why I was thinking, dude, let's get drunk and talk about BIM, man. That's, that's, that's the, <laughs> you and I have had so many great conversations about uh, 
BIM is such a, a vast term. Let's just talk about construction, right? Talk about technology. Mm-hmm. Technology in general, whether it applies to construction or not, you and I have you and I have had amazing conversations over great freaking alcohol. Yep. And and I look forward to keeping that going. I do too. And you know, a good note on that is if any of our listeners have any ideas, have any new cutting edge, bleeding edge workflows, processes that you guys have seen and would like us to talk about, look into anything, just let us know. Um, I am always down to learn. That is one of my biggest things. Even if I'm teaching a class, I am always looking to learn. If you guys have something to show us, please, if I can learn something and then fully incorporate that, I will do it. We will talk about it. I will research it. Good to go. With that, I do want to express one opportunity that our listeners can actually take involved with as well on top of uh, steering our conversations. But also, I want them to uh, steer what we drink. If there's a great beverage out there Mm -hmm. uh, that we haven't tried, let us know. Or maybe we have tried it. I don't really care. Make some recommendations. Let us know. We want to uh, know what you're drinking. Um, and hopefully we'll find a new, new beverage of choice. Uh, I will say though, this, uh, what is it? Uh, let me read the exact label, uh, Pottstown style, double dry hopped, dry hyped, sorry, not dry hop, dry hyped Indian pale ale from baby sparkles, Sly Fox. This is not a plug for them. It is phenomenal beer. It's great. It tastes <laughs> better, even better three beers in, I promise you. <laughs> Man, I'm digging this. I'm dig, I'm digging this Kansas City uh, Oktoberfest here. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of one of those uh, bandwagon fans. When the uh, weather starts to turn, October comes around. I'm, I'm down for a heavier kind of cinnamon tasting beer. There, I love it. Yeah. Reminds me of Paul. Of Paul. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Good lord. Reminds Uh-oh. me of Paul. I was going to say, Paul, he's going to be on the podcast. <laughs> he should probably be on the podcast. Episode 10, he'll be our, um, for those of you guys that don't know Paul Stuva, he is a remarkable gentleman, um, full of more information and passion in his one fingertip than most people that we encounter. I, I just love talking yeah. with him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so as far as beer, though, man, um, you know, Oktoberfest is a good one. Do you guys have you been to a um, ah, what are, uh, the Hofbrau breweries or any of that stuff? Have you seen any of those? No, actually, I have not been to one yet. I went to one in Indiana when I uh, so I grew up in Northwest Indiana, and um, we went to St. Paul Catholic Church out there, and they would have a like a <laughs> a festival, an Oktoberfest, um, where they would have live bands. They'd have just Dunkel on tap, which was amazing. Um, oh. it was, it was a good time. You know, you'd find some, um, some worst with some sauerkraut and it, it, you just have some old timey German band up there. It was, it was a good time. I haven't, I haven't found anything like that out here yet. All right, man. So, uh, I don't know if you're going to be joining me at the ASA con, uh, event in Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. in November. But uh, if you do, um, we'll have to check this out. They have a Hofbrau brewery there. I've got one here in Pittsburgh, and they are phenomenal. Their food is delicious. Uh, beer is always good. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, from you know Germany, great, great. Oh. Great. Um, great you know brewery, what? Man. I'm sorry. I hadn't even thought about it. I've been to the Rhine House up in Tacoma, and then, um, gosh, where was I? 
I think I was downtown Seattle and I found a, um, oh gosh, I cannot remember the name of it. I'm going to have to send it to you, but, uh, they were fantastic. Where, where you are, there's an area called, uh, Mount Angel, uh, just south of you. And I don't mm. know if you've seen it. They have a, uh, uh I mean, uh, Glockenspiel, I guess that's how you mm-hmm. say it, the town center. Um, and it's all done up in German, uh, German themed and, Oh, it's by uh, there's uh, some there's you know, a monastery I'm... off to this. Yeah, man, feel, feel, yeah, feel like, yeah. There's a I'll monastery check off out. to the side, and uh, a phenomenal architect did the library there. It's a it's a beautiful building. So if you don't, if you don't, you know, if anything, you don't go there for the Oktoberfest type, uh, you know, festivities. Let's go check out the library there. A uh, mm-hmm. good buddy of mine, Jesse Springer, um, actually recommended it to me. Uh, great architecture, cool area. Just a, you know, you're you're within that, you know, driving distance to Portland. So there's just a lot oh, yeah. of great things around there. You know, I'm, I'm looking, looking forward, forward to finding to, here. Oh, sorry. I'm Go looking ahead. forward to um, if there's a little city out here, and I'm sure you know of this one, but uh, Mount St. Helens or St. Helens, Oregon, here by up by Scapitude, and they actually have a Halloween Town um, festival based off of the movie Halloween Town. The so they have, oh my yes. kids would love it. Yes, they have the full Halloween Town theme for the whole month. They have um of course like costume um judging parties. They have uh gosh, Benny the skeleton driver actually comes through. They have all the people from the costume. All the a lot of people from the movie will actually come there um for this festival. It's it's uh it's pretty awesome. I'm really wanting to take my kids there. Oregon's got such a rich film history. Um, we've got the Goonies, which the Goonies, I, I should, yes. I'm just going to stop there. We have the Goonies. That is all that matters. <laughs> we have the Goonies. That's it. That's, that's yes. all you need to know. We have the Goonies. I've been to the house in Astoria. It's cool. It's just a, a fun area. Anyways, I am, I'm, I, I'm missing on that. In fact, I'm, uh, uh, for those that are interested in meeting up with me at future events, I will be in um, Ocean City, Maryland this week. And then the following week, I'll be at, or I guess it's the week of Halloween, I'll be at uh, I'll be at Rocky oh. Hill, Connecticut. We um, should do a podcast at AU. Oh, dude, we should definitely do a podcast at AU. We should do a podcast at AU. The reason why I bring up Rocky Hill, Connecticut, is I will be there during Halloween, and I am going to miss out on my kids' first Halloween no. in Yes, unfortunately. And the major bummer is it was my son's year to decide what our family costumes are. Every year we do family costumes. Um, I mean, we've done Minion. I've done Gru. I was Gru. My you know, wife and uh, daughter were Minions. And then last year was the first, uh, or I guess second year, rather, that we were a family of four and um, we went as the uh, wizard of Oz. I was the scarecrow this year. My son got to choose. And I was so excited. I was going to be the Hulk and he was going to be Iron Man. I was gonna be Black <laughs> Widow. My daughter was going to be the girl version of Captain America. Um, I was so happy to do this. And then I got the, the email saying, Hey, we need you here at this time. And I was like, Oh yeah, no problem. I'll be there. And that I didn't realize that that was Halloween or the yep. day after Halloween. Oh, it hurts Dang. so bad, man. Yep. I'm, uh, I'm going to be Bat Dad this year. 
Bats off, man. We could have been rivals. I could have been, we could have been BC. Yeah, there you go, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, so AU will be interesting, though. It'll be a fun one. We're going to have a, a ginormous booth. For those that don't follow TopCon or TopCon Solutions, don't know who we are or what we do, um, this podcast has nothing to do with that, but Dave and I are both employed there. So I just yep. want to give a shout-out. And um, you'll get to see us in action uh, demonstrating the next-gen Ben360 layout, our GTL 1000, and our new LN 150. Hopefully, uh, we'll have it there for AU. And um, if you have any questions about Autodesk software, you know um, anything that's going on in the industry, or possibly um, you know tools that might be re- right for you. We're talking uh, so earlier. I mentioned uh, spooling from Revit and all that sort of stuff. We have some remarkable uh, industry connections that that can help you guys there and keep you guys in one platform and make life easier and make uh, verification easier, make coordination easier, and just give you back the hours in your day. So find yeah. find us at a. We look forward to meeting up with you there, and definitely we'll. We should definitely find a corner and do a podcast at AU, um, yes. whether that evening or, or whatnot. We'll, we'll figure out something. I'm excited. This is going to be the first year I'm actually presenting at AU. I'm so stoked. I got to present at the Bluebeam Extreme Conference, and I'm presenting at AU. It's kind of nuts. I, I don't think you and I have been to AU together. No, I've never been to AU before. This is my first year. Oh, oh, oh my man, man. World of- <laughs> right? <laughs> All the way around, dude. First year at AU and first presentation. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I skipped last year. I had uh, some obligations that I, I couldn't meet, and uh, uh, I thought for some reason I thought you went, but uh, no. Yeah, I did see you at DC and DC for the uh, Bluebeam conference. I'm sorry I didn't get to hear you present, but uh, it was definitely fun uh, meeting and interacting with people. Uh, shout out to Ivy from Gray. She she was a mm-hmm. uh, connect with. Oh, yeah, and I want to do a shout-out to uh, Emma. Actually, Emma Rose, uh, she did a uh, – from Raken. Um, I was actually – dude, I, you know, it's crazy. I'm going to go off on another tangent. I know. Man, there's rant. Yeah, Raken. Gosh, they have Dude, dude amazing. Gosh, it's so nuts being able to fill out all of those reports. I mean, you, you get your dailies. You get your super dailies. You get your timesheets. All of that information is pushed out into a report for you in, in I don't even want to say minutes, but it really, you know, in like seconds, but minutes. It, 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 it is an amazing product. It really is. I'm always so excited for that. Time. Yeah, they do. They have a great product. It was great seeing those guys. I, I've been following them for a while. I mean, there's so many products out there, right? I mean, we've got ICT Tracker. We've got Raken. We've got eSub. We've got... Um, you know, so we'll plan grid, but they've been acquired, assembled, they've been acquired. I mean, there's so many amazing products that we get to talk about day in, day out, interact with and see where they're going and driving the industry, not just driving the industry, but fulfilling industry needs. Uh, it's amazing, dude. I, I'm all for it, it man. I, I can't wait to see what's happening. I don't know if you've heard of this product, but uh, Visual Live, uh, we have the ability to do like a two button push um, to our headset and, and, actually have an immersive VR uh, experience as well. Like, I do you have a VR headset? Man, maybe we need to get you set up with one. You need to get me set up with one, please. I would love to play with a VR headset. If, if anybody wants to send to David a VR headset, whether it's uh, <laughs> a HoloLens, uh, <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter. D- David, David is not picky. You got David uh, get a right. headset. We'll uh, we'll work on the software. But we'll anyways, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out, man. I've, uh, I've worked with some uh, amazing subs that have actually had it built into their contract with the owners. You know, these are large tech owners, but they'll give them a, um, a technology budget allowance. Get headsets mm-hmm. or yeah, allowance. Right. So they'll get, but they got to prove it, right. There's a marketing piece that goes behind it. Anyways, they got a headset on site and I'm not going to name the product. I'm not going to name any of that stuff, but I do want to point out that they were able based off of this free, just free, um, uh, handout from the owners saying that you have this allowance, um, to, to get, to invest in this technology, they were able to prove like a $30,000 savings, uh, just through coordination. It was amazing. It was great. And I can't wait to, uh, to have those conversations later on. Maybe that, yeah. that's a podcast where we get people involved. Uh, you and I, we're two people that are just chatting about BIM, that are drinking BIM, damn good beer. But uh, <laughs> I can't wait to how we, till we have these people on that tell you about their savings. So it's not all secondhand information that people are like, oh, he's bullshitting or, or you know, whatever. But anyways, we're going to get there. This is going to be remarkable. And I can't wait. But anyways, I just want to end this with this. I mean, uh, it's, it's probably been about an hour and five minutes or hour and 10 minutes, something like that. But uh, really, it's been two hours for you and I because we started this conversation, didn't record this conversation. So I want to end this at this <laughs> note and uh, around here and just say, you know, David, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for being part of this podcast. And I'm so glad to, ha- glad to have you as a partner. Of course, man. Thanks for having me, Joey. It's always great to talk to you. Always great to have these conversations just because I feel the, the passion, right? I feel that kind of wanting to make things better, the love of the industry, the love of technology for this industry. And it, it's it's return, dude. You know what I mean? I, I can always feel that. And I, I feel like I have that same level. So it's always great to, to have these conversations with you. And I'm definitely looking forward to our next podcast. Yes, sir. So next episode of Brewing with Bim, make sure you guys recommend beer that we should drink, topics that we should, we should talk about. We have good ideas, but steer us, man. We're just fools. Come on, steer us. Let us know what we should be drinking and what we should be talking about. Thank you so much for your time, and until next time, thank you so much. Have a great night.